Welcome to First and 30. I'm Nick. And I'm Antonino. We're two 30-something-year-old guys who take the best ultimate reality television show in this hemisphere, American football, through four uncensored downs of mostly unbiased opinion and some analysis. In a game broken down into 10-yard segments, we take it with you one step at a time. That's First and 30. Let's Let's go go for it. it. Welcome to the First in 30 podcast. Week 15 is now in the books, Antonino. And there was a lot to unpack, a lot to cover, uh, some upsets, some things that were noteworthy. What What are your thoughts? Instant reaction here before we hop into our four downs of what occurred this weekend. What's top of mind for you? Top of mind, I'm just enjoying every second of every game. NFL season only has a few weeks less left, maybe a handful of weeks for other teams in the playoffs, just soaking it all in. And uh, the week's always better when the Bengals win. Um, but uh, I do believe you went on a little road trip to see your boys. Yeah. Tell me about that. How was your trip up to Buffalo? Yes. Yes, I did. So I did travel to Buffalo six and a half hours here from Annapolis, Maryland to witness my Cowboys get their butts kicked against those Buffalo Bills in a wet, hostile environment. I will admit, though, when I was coming out there, I was a little nervous about Bill's Mafia. I've heard a few things. I've seen you know, those viral videos of the fans jumping on tables, acting crazy. So I didn't know what I was going to be getting into walking around the town of Buffalo wearing all my cowboy gear. But I was pleasantly surprised and somewhat shocked by the hospitality and kindness that the Bill's Mafia showed. They weren't those kind of hecklers that just you know, targeted you and said ruthless, mean things. They were all genuinely kind people, but they bleed and breathe Buffalo Bills out there. I I mean, every place I went to, there was a Buffalo Bills banner, flag, jerseys. I mean, I don't know if there's much else to do in Buffalo, so it makes sense. (laughs) So I think it's fitting that we start off first down, high hopes. High hopes, high hopes, it's home from work we go. And discuss and examine the Bills' beatdown of the Cowboys in the rain, the sloppy conditions. I was obviously there. I had my impressions. But let me hear it from your perspective, sitting on the couch in your nice, warm house. <laughs> That's right. It was pouring down. I was thinking of you when I was watching the game. Uh, poor guy to have not only the elements on you, but uh, the Buffalo Bills on your team. But uh When I was watching that game, I just saw missed opportunities left and right early in the game. I think when you're playing on the road, it's important to get the momentum on your side. Bills were up seven zip. They were punting the ball. Uh, They came mere inches from blocking a punt, which Mm. would then be called a penalty for, I believe it was roughing roughing the kicker. So that was a huge swing. You blocked that. You recovered that in the end zone. That could be seven your way. It's a tie game. And then the next drive, there was a fumble that they did not challenge. That was clearly recovered by Dallas. Uh, Ultimately, they would get a touchdown on that drive, Buffalo would, and they would go up 14 zip. And I think that's that's all she wrote from there. But from your perspective, you were at the game. Did you notice the fumble? Did you how how was no. your view of the pump block or the potential pump block? No, no, I I had no clue about the fumble. So you even stating that it 
went right over my head. I didn't know that there was a fumble and that there was some controversy about calling it because, you know, when you're at the game, there's a different perspective, different vantage point. You have the environment around you. You don't have the announcers giving you the play-by-play in the broadcast booth or replays. So that went right over my head. But the punt block penalty, the the roughing the kicker, that one, I did see that happen. I, I was aware of what was going on. Tough penalty. But the Bills came in with the formula to beat Dallas. And I've been saying this going into this game. Uh, I went with my buddy. I was apprehensive and nervous. The Bills are better than what their record has indicated so far. A lot of their losses were close, one-score losses. The difference really came down to turnovers for Buffalo in a lot of those games, since they, I believe, are a top-five team in turnovers at this moment in terms of differential. So if Buffalo came into this game playing clean, turnover-free, and exploited Dallas's run defense, which they certainly did, they had the formula to beat the Cowboys because honestly, Dallas is Dallas is a team built for finesse. They're a team that's built for speed and to rush the passer. Their front four is a little bit smaller. These guys are versatile to uh, generate rush on a four-man pass rush, but Buffalo took that away from them. They just gave the ball to James Cook, what, 25 carries, 179 yards. He also had two catches, 48 yards, two touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving. What did Josh Allen do? Do you, do you have those stats pulled up? Because I, I don't even think he threw it more than 20 times in this game. This was not your typical Josh Allen game. Not only did he not throw a turnover, he didn't even throw over 100 yards. He threw about 70-ish yeah. yards. And uh, my favorite part was his quote after the game, the post-game quote. What did he, he say? Said, he felt like he was the kid in class who did a group project and did no work, but still wow. got the A. <laughs> I'm not a big Josh Allen fan, but that really resonated with me. I think it, uh, it was similar to my college experience for the most part. But uh, yeah, you'll take him how you can get it. He said he'll continue to do that 10 times out of 10 as long as they continue to be victorious. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about Buffalo and Dallas, one thing really hits home. It's the home field advantage. Six and two at home, two and four on the road. So both teams really play well at home. I think that was the difference here. They came out early, they took the lead, and then they could lean on the run game. And that that pretty much uh, gave them what they need to expose that Dallas defense that's good at pressuring the pass. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that dichotomy between the home and away. In this game, weather wasn't a factor in the first half. So we can't use that as an excuse for the reason why Dallas didn't perform up to expectation offensively because, I, I mean, I was there. It was not raining in the first half. You could argue that the field was a little damp because it, it was raining earlier in the day. But up that kickoff, it was good conditions, no rain, so no precipitation to deal with, no wet ball, you would assume. But Dallas just could not execute. It was overall a team loss for the Cowboys. They lost on all facets, offense, defense, special teams, got outperformed by Buffalo. But you got to give the Bills the credit here. They came in with a game plan to basically just punch Dallas in the mouth and be more physical than the Cowboys up front. It, it seemed like every play, James Cook was breaking off about six, seven yards. Even Ty Johnson was looking... Better than Tony Pollard, honestly. He was just breaking off big runs, too. So that's that's a, a bad formula for the Cowboys, and I'm a little concerned. 
especially with them locking in a playoff spot, heading into the playoffs. Eagles lost last night, which gives them a, an opportunity to win the division. But still, when you have to go up against, let's say, a Detroit Lions team, which they'll be playing here in a few weeks, and then potentially the 49ers in the playoffs, those are teams that can run the ball very well. And as we've seen, Dallas is not the best at stopping the run, especially with guys like Jonathan Hankins, their nose guard, being injured. Mozzie Smith hasn't stepped up. He was a first-round pick this year for them. They were expecting big things from him to be a run stuffer. He got exposed in this game, too. But uh, look, real quick, let's just wrap it up with uh, what's the remaining schedule for the Bills? How, how do we think they're going to look? Right now, they're the ninth seed in the playoffs. We know that there's a bunch of teams sitting there, eight and six. Do we think that they have a shot at making it? Do we have high hopes that the Bills are going to turn this thing around, right this ship, and sail into the playoffs? Yeah, don't look now, but they got the Chargers on Saturday, which easily winnable game, the Patriots after that, and then they finish up with the Dolphins in a game that might not even matter for the Dolphins. It could have more ramifications for Buffalo. Yeah. So if they finish with two out of three or win all three of those, um, don't look now. Buffalo Bills could be circling the wagons. Yep. Well, let's move on to second down then, Antonino. They are who we thought they were. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. So in this week's segment, we're going to take a look at Atlanta's loss to the Carolina Panthers, exposing the Falcons potentially as a playoff pretender, as we kind of assumed. I mean, the NFC South is a weak division as it is. Atlanta going into this week needed this win to keep up with the Saints and the Buccaneers to potentially win that division essentially the winner of that division that's the only way that they're probably going to make the playoffs even though the wild card is still kind of up for grabs but what did you see with these falcons they they kind of are who we thought they were not a good team they're a pretender losing to a once one in 12 panthers but yeah what what's your take i like how you mentioned that they needed this game they're in a playoff <laughs> race they needed this game they're playing a team with one win all year all right and I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but not only do I have Bijan on my fantasy team, but they lost me a parlay, and I was the one Ooh. leg that lost. I just okay. needed them to get the money line, and they took the L. Um, ugly all around, okay? Um, yeah. Very frustrated with the Falcons all year long. I think it, they're just wasting talent left and right. Um, the, but like you said, one game behind the Vikings, Rams, Saints, and Seahawks for that last wildcard playoff spot. Yeah, well, I... I like how you mentioned to kind of wasting that talent. Bijan Robinson, he had seven carries in this game for 11 yards, one catch for three yards. He gets 58% of the snaps. So it was a 30 26 snap split with Tyler Algier. But this has been the theme for the Falcons and Arthur Smith since he took over last year. The underutilization and uninvolvement of these top prospect picks, these first round picks. So, I mean, Bijan Robinson, eighth pick of the draft in the first round this year. He's had a stretch where there were some games where he was getting good utilization. Falcons were winning games. Then you go and and throw something like this out there where you're giving him basically a 50-50 snap share with the backup running back, a fifth-round pick. I mean, Algier had a great season last year, but come on, if you're going to be investing a, a top-10 pick in a running back, use this guy, especially if you're in the heat of a playoff race. Not only that, you have Kyle Pitts. He was the fourth pick first round of the 2021 draft. He had three catches, 37 yards. 
for all of those who are involved in fantasy, they're very aware of the frustration around Kyle Pitts. I mean, this is a guy who broke Julio Jones's franchise record for receiving yards as a rookie. He was also only the second ever rookie tight end to eclipse a thousand yards. So Kyle Pitts was looking like a generational talent prior to Arthur Smith coming and taking over the reins. But now he's also in a 50-50 basically timeshare with Jonu Smith. But the Falcons like to run these three tight end sets and use their tight ends as blocking. But it's kind of ridiculous that they're not getting this guy more involved in. The same thing with Drake London, eighth pick of the 2022 draft. But how much could you contribute this to quarterback play, Antonino? It's unfortunate. Desmond Ritter coming out of the University of Cincinnati. I had high hopes for him. Um, he's not performing in crunch time. He's really, for example, this past week against Carolina, he throws a red zone interception. They're up 7-6, seven to six, 7.44 left, throws an interception, 18-yard line. It just sums up his season. Bad turnovers at the worst possible time. Just it's it's laughable this team with all, with all this talent is just going down the drain. They go to Carolina, like we said, it was a rainstorm during this game. There's only 500 people in the stadium, so do me a favor, Google that picture. The Carolina attendance for that game this past weekend, there was about 500 people there. Um, just to go in there fighting for your playoff lives and just laid an egg. Desmond Ritter, all you had to do was protect the ball, take the points. You have a Carolina offense that hasn't produced at all all year. They've had two field goals all game. And then the defense, man, last drive of the game, Carolina uses all seven minutes and 44 seconds that were left, goes all the way down yeah. the field, and kicks the game-winning field goal with no time left. That's a backbreaker. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pause you right there, Anton, you know, because we have breaking news coming across the first and 30 desk here this morning. You were mentioning Desmond Ritter. We have a live report coming from the Atlanta Superdome. Antonino's on the scene with some news regarding the Atlanta Falcons quarterback situation. Antonino, we're going to patch you in here. What's going on there with the Falcons? Desmond Ritter, can you tell us more? Nick, I've been hiding in this locker room all night. Um, I'm hearing rumors that Taylor Heineke is going to be placed as a starting quarterback this week. People have clearly lost their minds uh, after Taylor Heineke lost all three starts this season. I think that Carolina loss is really getting to their heads here. I think I just saw Ludacris flying in the top of the. I think he's coming in the stadium here. Ludacris. Wow. <laughs> yeah, man. I think that everyone's lost their mind over here in Atlanta. Hey, thanks, Anthony. You know for reporting that. You, you heard it here first, folks. Coming across the desk of the First and Thirty Studio. Tuesday morning, we're, we're getting the news and the report that Desmond Ritter, in fact, has been benched for a second time, perhaps third time this season, because I think he got benched mid-game at 1.2 for Taylor Heineke. But Taylor Heineke named the starting quarterback ahead of this week. There's a little bit of desperation in there. Do you smell that, Anton? You know, that desperation, perhaps, is Arthur Smith on the hot seat? <laughs> it should be the hottest seat. Yeah. I think I think a lot of us uh, fantasy football managers have been calling for his head since he took over the job last year and just inexplicably hasn't used his best assets, his highest talent. Uh, we'll see how it plays out in, uh, in Atlanta, but thanks, Antonino, for reporting there live. We're going to take a quick timeout, though. A little bit of a halftime break. Just to shout out our social media plugs. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter, guys. 
We're posting pretty much every day some sequences based off of our downs here. It's a way for you to engage and comment. Let us know what we're thinking. If there was something that we missed, you know, call us out. What were you thinking, Nick and Antonino, on you know your take on this? We want to hear your feedback. We want to hear your involvement. So you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at First in Thirty Pod or Facebook at First in Thirty. Make sure you give us a like, a comment, or a five star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts wherever you are enjoying the podcast and the content. Your feedback and engagement goes a long way for us here. We really do enjoy hearing what your takes are based off of what we're proposing here in these downs. And it's a, a good way to get involved as well. So we're going to jump back into it now. Third and long. What were you thinking? And in this week's edition, we're going to look at Matt Eberflus, the head coach of the Chicago bears in that matchup between the bears and the Browns, there was a questionable decision made there on that 17-7 fourth quarter lead against the Browns. Why don't you break it down for us, Anson? You know what occurred. The Bears are officially hibernating for the winter. Very unfortunate. They had a two-game winning streak. They just beat the Lions. They have a 10-point lead against the hot Cleveland Browns. Uh, and then just questionable decision-making from the head coach. Uh, they had a couple opportunities to kick field goals, albeit just over 50 yards. They chose to go for it both times, resulting in zero points. I would say this game was just full of misses uh, to really turn the Bears season around. Like we said, the NFC wildcard playoff race is nothing to rave about, so they were only a game or two back. But I think we all saw that last play of the game. Did you see that one? did see the highlights so why, why don't you break it down there was a hail mary right there's a hail mary justin fields rolls out there's a bomb you know jump ball drill cleveland's just trying to bat it down someone gets a hand on it they bat it down and you have mooney receiver for the bears laying on the ground on his back and the ball mm. lands right on his chest Oof. i Tough mean I, lose. I really feel for bears fans out there um, you had the win in your lap, literally, <laughs> and he bobbles it and kicks it with his foot in the uh, air. My goodness. And that wasn't the only drop of the game. There was a play earlier in the first quarter, 40, 50 yard uh, bomb to their tight end that was just missed. He was wide open in the bread basket. Well, why don't we well, why don't we dissect that that topic for what were you thinking? There was a decision that Matt Eberflus made on the first play of the fourth quarter. The Bears were up 17-7 to at this point, right? It was a fourth and one from the Cleveland 33-yard line. The Bears had a decision to make. You kick a 57-yard field goal to potentially go up 20-17, to making it a little bit more difficult, causing the Browns to have to, you know, essentially go for two touchdowns instead of a touchdown and a field goal uh, to get back into the game. Or you go for it, which then poses the risk of getting no points on that drive and then giving the ball right back to the Browns in pretty good field position. What was your opinion on that? Do you think it was the right call? Or obviously we can play Monday morning quarterback and say it wasn't the right call since they didn't make it. But in that moment, what were you thinking? You're darned if you do. You're darned if you don't. I understand the call to be aggressive. You want to put your foot on their throat. Um, but being up 17 to 7, 
You just intercepted Joe Flacco for the third time prior. You intercept him in the red zone. You get the interception. Your return is almost midfield. 231 was remaining when they got that pick. They start the fourth quarter. You're up 17-7. In my opinion, you either try for the 52-ish yard field goal, I believe it was, or you punt it, you cough and corner them. And Joe Flacco, who did nothing all game, three interceptions, seven points, let that offense try and do something to you there um, yeah. from deep in the territory. Instead, they go for it. Justin Fields rolls out to the right. He would have had the first down. The Cleveland Brown defender dived and clipped the heel of his foot and tripped him yeah. up before getting to the first down. So it's a, ma- a mere matter of inches uh, decided right. that game. Yeah, because they, they were stuffed on that RPO fake handoff uh, and Fields tried to to take it upfield, get the first down on his own. Even Eberflus, after the game, admitted that this was the turning point in the post-game press conference. He stated, in quotes, it's really about seizing the momentum. That fourth and one is a momentum play. We're there in scoring zone. We're outside the kick line. And all of a sudden, we make that play. And then you go up, you know, it's 20 to seven or it's 24 to seven at that time. So that was the momentum play. Those are the plays we've got to make. That was a good call for that down, and we got to make those plays. Momentum's going to shift back and forth, and we got to seize it. And that's what we talked about to the players. So obviously that was the momentum play. That was where things shifted because the Browns went downfield, scored. The game got close. It, it's a it's an unfortunate way to lose, too, with the, the Hail Mary, the opportunity to make that catch right at the end. Bears now dropped to what five and nine. They're they're kind of looking outside the playoffs. You could argue though, man, that they didn't have much to lose there too. I get that they're kind of in the playoff race, but your team had the momentum there. You know, might as well take a shot. Yeah, I, I mean, punting it really. I I don't know if you'd punt. I, if anything, I would be more aggressive. Try to kick the long field goal, get some points, hopefully out of it. But uh, yeah. A tough, tough way to lose it, especially with that that Hail Mary attempt. Do you have anything else to add with, with this, with the third down? Chicago Bears have a lot of answers or a lot of questions to answer this offseason. Is Justin Fields the answer? Will mm. they go quarterback shopping? They have the first and fifth pick of the NFL draft. Um, a lot of mock drafts have them getting Drake May at one or Caleb Williams. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough, tough. one. It's a really a tough one. What would um, you do? That's a that's a good question. I think I would probably stick with Justin Fields. Um, I think he just needs a little more support around them. I know Chicago is the place where receivers go to die, and their running backs have been injured. They have a lack of foundational coaching. I I don't think Justin Fields is the the total complete issue. I would stick with him. Use those two picks for high value players. And uh, I think there is talks, this could be a little further down the timeline, but talks to build a new stadium in Chicago, and it would yep. be a dome, a dome stadium. So that could really mm. be what the Bears need to come back to re- relevancy and maybe have some offensive firepower again. Yeah, it, it would be a tough decision to make. You you see that every now and then. These quarterbacks don't have a whole lot of time to develop or showcase that. It's kind of a win-now mentality now in the NFL where it's if you're not producing, if you're not showing us enough here and now, we're not going to give you the time to incubate in our system for that long. Not to mention, Justin Fields was not a draft pick by Matt Eberflus. That was in the previous regime with Matt Nagy, I believe. So it's it's a little dicey for him, it looks like. I, I think the guy's talented. I think the Bears need to adjust 
their system to him more and utilize his strengths, get him outside. They were doing a few RPO stuff, but yeah, I, I think it would be a little bit premature to give up on Justin Fields. He's looked pretty good when he has played this season too. But uh, how about this, man? Fourth and forever now. It's time for a Hail Mary. Dropping back in the pocket. Looking, there's the Hail Mary. Headed for the end zone. And it is caught by a touchdown. by a touchdown. So this week, we saw a pretty exciting finish in that Houston Texans win. Houston won with Case Keenum after a 54-yard game-winning kick in overtime as time expired. Give me some of the big takeaways heading into this. What were the storylines going into the game? And then as you watch the game, how did this all play out too? I think everyone had a feeling that the Texans might struggle without C.J. Stroud, uh, which is fair given their performance with him this year and Case Keenum being a big unknown. When the game started, we saw that. We saw that the Titans easily went up 13-zip. They're moving the ball well on offense. Uh, Case Keenum in the second quarter threw a pick six. Uh, So talk about a gut punch. Pick six, Titans go up 13-zip. And right there, you you definitely got the feeling like, man, we're on the road. Case Keenum, no Tank Dell, no Nico Collins. Jeez, what what must have been going through their head down 13-zip right there on the road? Well, whistle me, Dixie. Yeah. And, and Case Keenum, 35 years old, his second stint with the Texans. He ended up throwing for 229, a touchdown during that last drive of the game, too, to tie things up and send it into overtime. So a lot of moxie and poise just to stick with it and continue to fight even when you're down. There was a, kind of a big storyline, too, with their kicker, though, Kaimi Fairbairn. He had missed his past five games with a quadriceps injury but converted on all four of his kicks. Very rarely do we focus on the kickers and spend time talking about these guys, but he won on a 54-yard game winner as time expired in overtime in a game that the Texans really needed to have to stay in the thick of this wild card race in the AFC. They get the win. They're 8-6 and six now, but something that was kind of cool to me, this was like a revenge game for the Texans. So they were playing at Tennessee, And the Titans were honoring their old Oiler uh, heritage here. They were doing the throwbacks. They were wearing the the Houston Oilers tanker uniforms that we we saw in the 70s and the 80s. They had, you know, uh, who was was in attendance? Earl Campbell, uh, the Mm -hmm. the Pro Football Hall of Fame running back. He was in attendance. He was kind of talking to Derrick Henry before the game. Rabel, Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, even wore a cowboy hat in honor of the Oilers. So they were really just like rubbing this into the Texans' face because, you know, Houston used to have a team. They left and went to Tennessee with Bud Adams back in uh, 97, I believe it was, or prior to that. And, yeah, they they kind of took the opportunity just to flaunt it at the Houston Texans. So kind of a revenge game for them, too, with the, the odds stacked against them and the Titans that go out there and just, you know, basically flaunt what used to be for Houston. Big, big win for these guys. What what else stood out to you? What was kind of like the, the big thing uh, in your mind too there? Yeah, talk about a little bit of karma. Like you said, those oil oil uh, tankers on the, the, the helmets, the oil rigs. Uh, there, there's none of those in Tennessee, so I, I'm kind of glad uh, <laughs> Houston got the payback there. But uh, what stood out to me was Dalton Schultz Tons of critical catches late. Uh, Tennessee actually had an interception in their hands 
uh, at the five yard line and Dalton Schultz just went up and took it from the guy, uh, which ended up being a, a critical play to get them in overtime. They would end up getting a touchdown there. It was a really grinded out type of game. Uh, when it was 13 zip, the kicker, as you mentioned, Fairburn came in 13-3, 13-6, 13-9. They would then get a touchdown to tie it up and then nails a bomb in overtime with no time left. Yeah. Uh, two of his kicks being over 50 yards coming out off the injury. Um, talk about a way to make make your presence felt on your first day back on the job. But uh, at the end of the day, D'Amico Ryans, he's got to be a coach of the year candidate. Yeah, for um, sure. I was I thinking think, that too, man, you know? Yeah, coach without C.J. Stroud uh, to get this done with all these players missing, definitely coach of the year candidate. Yeah, nobody had high expectations for the Texans going in this year. I know I didn't. Rookie quarterback, rookie receivers, a, a team that was – one of the worst in the league last year to turn this thing around the way they have. I've given a lot of credit and respect to D'Amico Ryans, but how about this, you know, with Houston in our minds, with all the key players that they had out, let's, let's wrap this up on a high note, a positive impact. And if you don't mind, Antonino, you took last week. You mind if I take this one? Let's go for it. <laughs> Love it. So with Houston having all these key players out, they still found a way to get the job done. And this makes me think, you know, sometimes there's going to be circumstances that aren't perfect, that aren't the way that you planned. You might not have all the, the tools at your disposal that you're used to. You might not have all the pieces to that puzzle. However, with a bit of determination, grit, creativity, you can still find a way to accomplish the goals, even if things are not ideal. So my main takeaway is don't use excuses. Just find a way to do it. Just like the Texans did here today or yesterday, they still found a way to do it without all of these pieces to their arsenal. So with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of First and 30. Until next week, remember, when your number is called, no matter the odds, just, just go, go for it. it.